Lights on, season two. We're back. Your favorite film nerds are back. I'm here with Isha Johansson. Did I say <laughs> that correctly or did I forget? No, no. You remember well. You remember well. Isha Johansson and Victoria Ferrada. Serrada. <laughs> we're back. And we're very excited and a bit nervous because we haven't done this in a bit. But hey, we're loving it. We're loving it. And we have big things coming for this season. We've been talking and we've decided this season is all going to be about women, about girls, about celebrating their representation, how they represent us as directors in the industry and everything. So yes, really exciting stuff. 360, 360 analysis on girls who are literally involved in many many aspects in film and we just want to cover all of them so hopefully and celebrate we, them yeah celebrate them celebrate them of course um but yeah today we're starting with a very exciting topic which i think i mean we might be coming late to it but at the same time we're not because the Barbenheimer effect is real. Yeah, and we have the advantage that now we can do a retrospective. So, you know, we're not late. We're just studying it and see what happened there because it was very crazy. And yeah, so how did you enjoy the Barbieheimer experience, Isha? Uh, I really enjoyed it, although I think I prioritized Barbie over Oppenheimer. I don't know. Maybe unconsciously, I think the circle around me, people were more excited about Barbie than Oppenheimer. But just, I'm sure everyone knows what the Barbenheimer term stands for, which is basically Barbie, the release of Barbie and the release of Oppenheimer happening at the same time on July 14th. This whole theatrical release became a cultural phenomenon. Everyone was talking about it and it was all over the internet. And it was just so huge that we were like, we can't let this pass by. We have to comment it. And yeah, but what about you, Vicky? What, how was your experience of Barbenheimer? Well, I didn't do the double feature because, you know, I wanted to see both films with friends. And I think, yeah, they weren't up for both movies. I had friends who wanted to see Oppenheimer and others who wanted to see Barbie. Um, so I kind of did like first Barbie because I didn't want to miss it in the cinemas. And then Oppenheimer because I knew it had a longer like theatrical release. Um, but I'm kind of sad because I think I should have done the double release because I, I don't think we're going to get that same thing in a long long time at least but but you saying double release do you mean like you would have liked to watch literally one after the other one yeah, yeah yeah like double feature like after you go see one movie you go right to the next one oh my right? god in the same day so yeah that was the whole concept like which one are you seeing first you have to have a outfit change you know that you can do on the spot like not which one are you watching, but you're watching both. I think that's what mm -hmm. was special about, like, Barbie Heimer yeah. compared to other Yeah, stuff. the assumption that you're going to be committing to both. It's beautiful for for cinema when it's right now being described as a dying art. So it was just amazing to see it was such a popular and, like, widespread 
event, you know, among people who are not particularly enthusiastic about film. We also wanted to talk about the fact that this wasn't just a just a theatrical release. This is, in our opinion, and in the internet and everyone's opinion, a cultural phenomenon, actually. There is already mm-hmm. a Wikipedia page assigned and so detailed yes yeah, so detailed, so, detailed like. so and, and, and it's it's literally i think like i'm actually gonna read the first sentence go for it barbie and hammer was a culture phenomenon preceding and surrounding the simultaneous theatrical release of two films barbie and oppenheimer you know already stating it as a historical event i know i felt so old reading it i was like Oh my god, it's already in the past. Literally. Why do you think this was a cultural phenomenon? How do you how can we how can we name something a cultural phenomenon, do you think? Well, I think when the tendencies for the last few years has been that like most of the public, I'm not like saying like film enthusiasts but like our families and stuff don't go to the cinemas much. Like it used to be a weekly thing. And since the pandemic, it's been worse. And this has been the first time, like, you can see it in the numbers that a lot of people have gone out of their home, like, left and went to the cinema and saw two movies that were, like, very different. And they exceeded, like, the expectations in terms of, like, what they were going to make and the public they were going to bring And I think it was like such a big engagement that nowadays we only see with TV shows to see that with movies was like really different. And I think Barbie had that from the get go, like from the first releases of the pictures, everyone kind of just went wild. But the Oppenheimer just brought it to the next, you know, degree of like, this is a once in a lifetime experience. I think that's why everyone was like, so eager to be part of it. No, I agree. And Now that you're saying that, um, I think both were offering like different things because Barbie had such a kind of engagement on like social media and well, the marketing was just insane. And of course, what it had to offer was the story of Barbie, right? This, this like universally famous doll that everyone can relate to or everyone has heard of it, right? Um, so. It was just like such a universal concept that that already was the catch. And I feel like that was enough to attract a big audience. But then with Oppenheimer, like, of course, Christopher Nolan, I mean, he's admired by so many people, but of course, it's a bit more specific. It's like a historic event, a biopic. So I, I feel like it's less accessible. But then what Oppenheimer was also offering was like the IMAX experience and the kind of like not using too much CGI, but creating this completely compelling universe, you know, and kind of bringing mm-hmm. cinema back, you know, in terms of the, the sounds and the visuals and making an event that's like worth spending 15 or 20 pounds, well, euros in, you know. But um I think that was what, what Oppenheimer was offering. But I think we can also name it a cultural phenomenon because it kind of moved so many like it mobilized so many people in so many different ways and not just in the like weekend or i know i think it was a thursday but like on the day of the release itself but like the marketing around barbie which then became barbie and heimer the memes around barbie like remember when already the the 
the, the pictures had been leaked and people were already talking about Barbie, like yeah. the outfits, like the Ken and Barbie, Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie outfits were already like outfits for Halloween last year. Um, and then everyone wearing pink, like it just kind of this, there was no official statement from the film for everyone to wear pink, you know, it was just like something someone did. You know, and then people just follow through social media. Mm -hmm. And I mean, internet here was like the biggest marketing, marketing tool for everything. And at the same time, it's like the, the kind of quickest way of connecting everyone from all over the world. But I think that's really for me what if, why yeah. I felt like a universal cultural phenomenon is that there was just so much more going on than the actual viewing of the film, you know? I think, yeah, you're totally right. I think the speculation for Barbie was like I I think it was both like culturally happening and at the same time hand in hand with like one of the best marketing campaigns in like history because you know when Greta Gerwig said that the art department made this like shade of pink run out in the world it's like these statements that all of a sudden you're like oh my god this is insane I want to watch it and this like old Hollywood type of aesthetic mixed in with the like Venice, you know, images. And you couldn't really imagine what the movie was about, like what the structure of the actual movie was, but yet you had so many images of it already in your head. And then yeah. the music was also really good. So it was like a full experience, like on social media with the music, with the aesthetic, like you could enjoy it on so many levels. And I think Oppenheimer, you know, it's a Nolan film. So the strategy was completely the opposite because he, it's more about the mystery of like, how is he going to do it? What technology is he going to introduce? What actors, you know, and it's a different type of speculation. And it's more of a Oscar movie type of profile so I think they're not going to be you know in your face about it because it's supposed to be more you know subtle I think in a way yeah I agree and you, you can even see that with the trailer releases with Barbie there were mm -hmm. like three different one trade three different trailers which I personally completely devoured <laughs> and I was kind of I kind of regretted it because I did feel like I had seen a lot of the film before yeah. that Whereas with Oppenheimer, I think maybe there was, there was one trailer. And even if there was that one, it didn't go like viral, you know? So I think there yeah. were very, they're very opposite marketing strategies that went really well with the kind of tone of each film. But I do wish, I do wish Barbie had had a bit less exposure because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, they did a great job on Instagram too, but they were already releasing all of the cast, which by the way, I think, What has also made Barbie so zeitgeisty is like the amount of um, like artists, like popular artists that are also involved, like but the beyond the film industry, like Dua Lipa, okay, yeah. Nicki Minaj, na na na. What, John don't you agree? Cena as a merman, <laughs> which is still stuck in my head. I'm sorry, but yeah, but I mean. You know, if you think about the cast of Barbie and the cast of Oppenheimer, you know, there's a Safdie brother in the mm. Oppenheimer movie. There's every secondary yes. character in both movies are very famous people. That's true. Like, which, is, which is, like, really surprising because then, you know, they could have... I think it's because the films are so tonally different that they worked 
as a double release, but at the same time, they could never have the same strategy, the same, you know, uh, I think Barbie was like much more like warm in terms of like, you know, the, the way they approach interviews and everything. So you felt like they were part of your family, which Oppenheimer was like so intense and like, it was like Killian Murphy, you know, just very serious. So yeah, I don't know. And also now that I'm there, it's, that you're mentioning this. Yeah, of course, like, I think there were memes going around or, like, tweets going around about Oppenheimer having, like, every single famous Hollywood actor. But Mm -hmm. when you were looking at both cats, it was actually, like, so female for Barbie. And then with Oppenheimer, I mean, all of, like, (laughs) the famous, you know, Robert Downey Jr., who else, like, oh, yeah, Matt Damon, Clay Murphy, like, quite contrasting casts, actually, and quite gendered casts. And by the way, I think... Of course, yeah, that's why Barbenheimer worked so well, because of the contrast in tone. But I think mm-hmm. there was also some similarities. Like, if if one of these films hadn't been, like, written or directed by someone who's, like, an Oscar-nominated director, I don't think it would have, like, leveled up. Yeah, they could compete with each other, you know? Yeah. They didn't compete in the end, but, like, they could, like, stand side by side and be, like two huge projects next yeah. to each other. And also... Which wasn't intentional. It wasn't. We were going to talk about this now. But yeah. also, to kind of challenge the idea that they're very different, they're also both talking about, like, existentialism, you know? In very different yeah. ways. One is, like, how far can science go? And then, with Barbie, it was, of course, about, like, women's position today and men's and men's but ultimately they're trying to do very different things that's just how it is in terms of, of tone like barbie's just being playful it's just a playful film Oppenheimer is just much much more dark you know and it's dealing with with important events in history that are a bit, a bit more delicate so i think the opposite of playful but yeah. now that we've said that um i think we should talk about what you were saying before about this kind of simultaneous release not being completely accidental yes i'm so excited to talk about this actually because you know uh i think from an industry perspective it's so interesting because you know we've had example of like double releases in the past like this is not the first time that two like movies that should actually be rivals are released the same day and both get a boost but this is the first time we've seen it to such a like big degree because you know the if you see the numbers and they're like they're insane so i think worldwide the box office was like above two billion for both films which is like the hugest number we've had since the pandemic and it wasn't intentional because they weren't supposed to be released the same day. Yeah, did you know that? Did you know the whole like Nolan feud and all of it before going into this episode? No, I didn't. I read it. Um, I'm not super familiar with the long story. Do you know it? Yeah, I'll go for it. So basically both films got like released on July 21st, but this was... Uh, this is alleged because what we know is that uh, basically Nolan, which was who is the director of Oppenheimer, had a really long relationship with Warner Bros. You know, they with that studio, they released a, a lot of movies. And 
you have to understand that Warner Bros. like probably was able to sustain itself based on the films of Nolan for probably the last decade because all of his films are like uh like successful in terms of box office and basically they had a decision to to release on the same date uh to give the same dates to project like theatrically and on streaming service and this was like a big no-no for nolan and he ended up leaving the studio which basically made warner really bitter um and there was a really interesting quote that nolan said to the hollywood reporter uh, about the whole like streaming thing, which was some of our industry biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. This is like, you have to understand for Nolan, he's not like the type of director that's going to give a bunch of interviews. He's not like we know what he looks like and he is a public figure to a certain degree, but not like other directors. So I think this was like a big statement that just, you know, made the feud between like Warner and him even bigger. And this is where the speculation comes in. So after, you know, Nolan leaves the studio, he signs with Universal and the conditions he has are insane, by the way. It's like, for his next film, he wants a budget of a hundred million. Uh, you know, a marketing budget of equal size. So it means it's like two hundred million dollars plus creative control and uh basically a hundred day theatrical window, which is a lot of time. Basically, he said, I'm gonna have almost a whole year of Oppenheimer being in the cinemas, and then you can put it in the streaming service which nowadays almost no one can do that. You usually get a couple of weeks of theatrical release just because you want to be nominated for the Oscars and then you go to a streaming service. And when Warner Bros, this is the like speculating part, found out about this, that he left and went to Universal and was directing Oppenheimer and that he was releasing on July 21st, the film, they decided to change the scheduled film they had, which was Coyote versus Acme. I have no idea what that film is. And they changed it for Barbie, basically hoping that Barbie would destroy Nolan's film and that, you know, they would basically destroy Nolan because he had left. So it's really interesting. We don't know if that was Warner's bros true intention but by the looks of it the changing of like schedule really does align because also famously nolan has always released his film during july it's like his window of time where he likes to release him only i think the previous one uh what was the name with like robert pattinson Tenet. 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 because of the pandemic that's the only film he's released in the last decade in a different period so in the end, it benefited all parties because they've made a bunch of money. Both films exceeded like by far the expectations of the industry because of the phenomenon. And now we're seeing more instances of like, you know, counter programming, which is the term they use when like 
you put two different films on the same date, hoping they're gonna, you know, push each other to the next, you know, stage of box office. But yeah. Yeah, which I think... Well, thank you, Victoria, for that amazing <laughs> explanation. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that the the concept of content programming is so interesting because I don't I don't really remember this happening really to this extent. You know, I think it's this has been like in history it has happened. I, I read that The Dark Knight had been released at the same time as Mamma Mia, but I remember when we first knew about the releases. I remember commenting with a friend, like, oh, is that going to work? Like, when it, this was even a thing, I was like, why would they put these two films out? Like, no one's going to be watching Oppenheimer. <laughs> We're being so, so, so biased at the beginning. But but no, the whole idea is to kind of, like, help both films in a way. I mean, even though that wasn't the initial intention, then then it became that. Yeah. Um, now that you've given all of this kind of contemporary context to hostile relations among Hollywood uh, workers. I think we have to mention that this also happening in the context of the strikes. When these films were released, I think the premiere of Barbie was on July 13th and the premiere of mm-hmm. uh, Oppenheimer was on July 14th. And the Writers Guild, which is the one, Hollywood's Writers Guild, I think it's called. Yeah, but the writers were already on strike if i'm not mistaken what happened is was the actors, the actors like yeah. union yeah, yeah. the actors cuz there's i mean of course different guilds uh in hollywood yeah. and the initially it was just the writers who were on strike and exactly. now they've i think they've ended the strike already but it's yes. now becomes a more of kind of like a wider phenomenon within the industry but then the actors guild officially uh, went on strike and they announced it on the 14th of July in the middle of the Oppenheimer's, Oppenheimer screening. And I'm assuming that all of this history and context, of course, affected Nolan in his position and him and yeah. the rest of the ensemble actually got up in the middle of the screening. They weren't that affected, to be honest. Like, if you see the numbers at the end... Mm. They're not the movies that were affected. Um, Because also what was interesting, I read this. uh, This is an opinion, you know, by Fran Drescher. I'm hoping to say her name correctly, the SAG-AFRA president. They claim that they, you know, the studios like kind of tricked the guild into accepting a 12 days extension extension giving the hope to the like union that they would like get to an agreement but it was actually to be able to promote both of these films and then you know so that like barbie wasn't affected by the strike Mm. because of a day was a strategy you know let's get a 12-day extension so it like moves past my premiere but i'm gonna act like you know we're gonna reach an agreement so that margot and the rest of the cast can walk the the premiere. Mm-hmm. All of this is very shady, and mm-hmm. obviously no one is going to say it out loud, but, like, it could be. Now that we're talking about the strikes, it's interesting, like, the position of big names within this, because these strikes are mostly about more kind of precarious positions. Writers and screenwriters and actors that are, of course, not, like, incredibly famous, so they're kind of just hustling and settling for very bad contracts, streaming services just 
being completely unconscious of the work that goes behind writing drafts and then like workflows and chain that goes yeah. be- before releasing a film. Yeah, I mean, there's like so much more involved in the strikes. We could even dedicate a whole episode to it. Absolutely. But I think we were, yeah, we, we just wanted to mention it because it was what was so exciting about this moment is that we were getting this moment in like cinema history, recent cinema history, where again, People are naming this art a dying art, right? People are not going to the cinema anymore like they used to it. But there's more of like a special occasion. Um, we're suddenly seeing the whole world mobilizing to see these films. And at the same time, there being a lot of, yeah, a lot of tension within the industry, you know, which at the same time is like hopeful. Yeah. People are, have not forgotten it. People still see value in going to the big screen. But at the same time, like the streaming services and the big studios really messing up the the kind of value we give to the talent behind this industry. Well, I think, you know, historically there's been strikes with every, you know, new platform being brought. You know, when there was television, there was a strike because, you know, they had to renegotiate. And I think the problem is like streaming services have like, the biggest audience nowadays but there's nothing written of like the conditions there's not a talk of like residuals and and all of that which is part of the strike and you know the use of ai and how it's going to change and there's so much change going on that i think you know barbie heimer is going to be at least for the next next few years I mean, they've already said that because of these two movies, cinema was like saved for this year just because of the number of audiences they brought. You know, we can last another year, but hopefully we get more of these instances of people wanting to enjoy, you know, something collectively. Yeah. Uh, So I think it was also very important just because of what's happening right now that we're going to get a lot of movies delayed and that's why we're getting all the artist tours lives in the cinema because there's you know everything is paralyzed so yeah but do you think i think it's very relevant do you think there is going to be an effect after this event because i when we're saying when we're saying that it's going to save cinema like you said cinemas for a year right financially but then do you think it's going to have more of a kind of behavioral effect so do you think it's going to change people's habits or desire to go to the cinema now that they've been kind of refreshed and see what it is to kind of experience what it is to watch a film collectively again because I was hopeful I mean the problem is that this is an industry right like what happened for example like cinema had another crisis and like 2010 at least in Spain that I know of and it's because they made everything 3D we got Avatar and after that during the next few years films that weren't even shot in 3D were all 3D until the like audiences got tired and stopped coming because it was like so expensive for nothing and I think sadly a part of Barbie Heimer like the important part is not going to be as like celebrated by the industry you know they're they're already trying to do the double release thing but like in an artificial way there was like the saw i think part 10 with like paw patrol which is like obviously for kids and i was like this is like 
so stupid. And I think also with Barbie, the success of Barbie, instead of like the interpretation of the industry wasn't that it's female led. So we should have more of those that it's story about women, about like feminism. No, it was like, oh, this famous toy made a really popular movie. And now we're going to get a bunch of like, brats you know like all these like toys made into like there's a Polly Pocket movie I think with Lily Collins in the talks and I think it's disappointing to see that this could have been something but it's probably not gonna be as big as we lived it you know because I think in the moment everyone was like cinema is back and everything is exciting and we're wearing outfits and whatever um But I think as long as we have, like, these small instances of celebrating cinema, they're, like, worth it. You know, even if it's just for this year, we we enjoyed it. We all collectively went to the cinema. So I think it's also up to the artists to kind of fight for, you know, to engage the audiences in new ways. Like, through social media, through, like, challenges or whatever like there's other ways to go about it than like trailers and yeah and just to be clear like for the listeners when you're talking about cinema we mean like not your typical like blockbuster not trying to show (laughs) throw shade on marvel but a little bit uh they're they're more they're a bit more especially barbie they're a bit more subversive films right a bit more challenging a bit more human a bit more chaotic like Nowadays, we're just, well, Nolan's film is very kind of perfect, a very cohesive whole, but... I think also to to give credit to Oppenheimer, it's also a challenging movie uh, in terms of concentration, but I think for me, at least it was worth it. Uh, but I think what you're saying, for example, about Marvel is that studios think the audiences are dumb and they can try to sell anything. And I think if Barbie Heimer has proven something, it's like, People are willing to go to the cinema if you bring a good product. But the like the truth of it is like there's been few like epic big budget films in the last like five years that were actually like when you left the cinema, you were like, wow, I'm so glad I went to the cinema yeah. to see that. Because otherwise, of course, people are going to stay home if it doesn't make a difference to to watch it at home than yeah. like to go to the cinema, and also you know what you're saying about barbie like it's so difficult to kind of make a challenging movie out of a, such a commercial toy right and i think the the complicated part in barbie was trying to yeah like make it still appealing and not trying and at the same time not like over intellectualizing it you know like making it accessible for all audiences mm-hmm. i yeah. think both films were just a gift to have uh yeah, this summer, and I was so glad to see mm-hmm. both of them and see everyone celebrating them. Okay, just to close it off, I want to know your opinion. Like now that we've analyzed and talked about the industry, the movement, the all of that, I just want like your opinion as a like film nerd. Like, what do you think of the movies, like it themselves? Um, I feel like I've talked more about Barbie, but I think it's just been more present in my life. Um, I think, yeah, it was, it's just very challenging to make such a profound film about a toy that can seem very superficial and has had so many connotations of being a basic doll girls play with to take this 
kind of material material product um rise the conversation about womanhood and how that contributed to our kind of identity formation and then also just like i love the production and everything that came with it like the props the everything it's just was just great but i gotta say that it, it kind of lost me with all of the different characters there were like i was expecting from the trailers like a deep dive into barbie and her journey and there was just a point where it was just like oh my god there's so many so many characters right now that i just can't really relate to one specifically but at the same time i think we're just too used to kind of having a a very individual kind of relating yeah. experience with the protagonist so yeah i think this marxist <laughs> marxist way of of, of, of portraying the thing was amazing and then with oppenheimer um i love a film that is hard to digest throughout you know that this is so loaded with already like a heavy topic but then also beautiful striking images and sounds and kind of simultaneous narratives and temporalities um all of those elements kind of made it a, a hard film to digest at the at the end i was just like okay i just had to kind of you know, take all of this in. And as the days pass, I feel like I thought about it more and more. And I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't remember Oppenheimer that much, actually. <laughs> what about you, Vicky? Wow. <laughs> I think for me, it was kind of the opposite. Like, I didn't think I would enjoy Oppenheimer as much as I did. And Barbie disappointed me personally. I think I was really excited when I watched the film. I understood why it was important. And I want to celebrate Greta so much because I think, as you said, she did something that was so challenging, which is basically, I think, kind of like what Spielberg created in a way, which is like to make a perfect like blockbuster, like entertaining piece, but with like something to think about and digest and like debate with your friends and whatever and it's in a like it's a film that I've talked mostly with women and I think that's very interesting I think to me there was a couple of things that made me personally not enjoy it as much is like I felt like there was too many celebrities in the film that like sometimes I'm like it felt like too much ca like cameo at some points because uh, I was like, I as you said, I want to focus more on Barbie. Um, but what I enjoyed like a freaking kid was like Ryan Gosling. I think that was like comedically genius, like genius. Like I, I every time he was on screen, I was like giggling. Um, and I think that was like brilliant acting of like Margot as well, because you know, to like share the spotlight between them and have that rhythm and that thing going all the time is so good. And just to see them working together was like a big joy. Uh, with the speech itself, like it's not something I haven't heard before. So to me, it wasn't mm. that profound, but I understood why it was profound more generally, you know, because I think I when you're like a little bit of a nerd and you enjoy specific things and whatever you know so I think in the end I wasn't the target audience necessarily 
but I really liked it. And then with Oppenheimer, I thought I was going to be bored because everyone said it was like a boring movie and whatever. And then I was like really blown away because I thought it was like really subtle. Um, and I really love the fucking performances. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. There's like something that I enjoy so much about like the sound, the experience, the like how epic it was. Like, I think I've been missing in the last few years, like epic movies. That's why I think I enjoy Dune and like Villeneuve's work in general. Uh, the only thing that I hated about Oppenheimer was the representation of women. I think that was like, I think it's one of the biggest like flaws that Nolan has. And that's why, thank God for Greta, because I think that's why they had to exist hand in hand. Because, um, yeah, those like depictions really made me like, oh, my God, they have like the two actresses in the film have like five scenes in total. And they're, you know, I don't know. I saw a TikTok that made me laugh, which is the theory that like Nolan is secretly gay because all of his, he can't depict like a woman like properly sex like straight sex correctly he loves man he loves beautiful man he just loves manhood so much it has to be something like that which made me laugh because like the examples were like yeah yeah I don't know uh so I think in terms of like as a viewer i enjoy oppenheimer more but i think barbie is more necessary than oppenheimer yeah i agree with you and honestly like i'm so kind of also surprised by what i'm saying right now because i was i was very disappointed with barbie when it came out like mm -hmm. and it's now in retrospect that i'm like talking so highly about it yeah um same for me though sorry same for me though because when i left i I don't know. I think it's because we saw so much of it beforehand that yeah. I wasn't able to enjoy it as much. I was thinking about you because I was like, we were both nerding about it so much mm -hmm. before. I had my expectations were so high. I know. Were so high that I was just like, it also felt very short, actually. So I thought it was because of what you were saying, because like we're just kind of seeing people all the time and they're really getting into a kind of profound or kind of long story. Um, I was I was a bit disappointed, but I was I think I was just happy that everyone seemed to love it love it around me. And with Oppenheimer, I don't know if you've been. Are you very familiar with Nolan's work from before? Like, have you yeah. followed it a lot? Yeah. So I don't know. I guess ugh, there's something about Nolan that just I come with it, with this expectation to before watching a film that I just kind of assume it's going to be kind of epic and great. So at the same time, it's not really surprising me because I already know he's going to deliver that. But I think for me, the like the reason I'm starting to enjoy now Nolan is that I think his films do get more profound as he gets older. Like Don Kirk, I saw it this year for the first time. And I regret it so much not seeing it in the cinemas because yeah, I thought it was really moving. And I think about his earlier work and I'm like, of course, I've seen these movies, but they didn't really do anything to me like on an emotional note, which nowadays I'm like with Oppenheimer, it was a true dilemma where I was like going through it with the character, which is not something that I would expect from a Nolan film. 
Yeah. I also think it was like too tainted with like Killian Murphy as yeah. as Tommy Shelby and Peaky Blinders. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've seen too much I've seen too much of him. I've seen too much of him. I was just like, I'm you sorry. never seen too much of just... him. That's oh that's the no, most no, 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 of course thing. not. I love him. No, I, I'm obsessed with him. And it's just like I, I was just like, I'm not buying your Oppenheimer. You're you're Tommy, you will always be my Tommy. But anyways, <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to watch it again, like both Oppenheimer and Barbie and see see how we feel about them because I also think that the whole hype around it distracted me of watching both films. I'm sorry. I think that that's what it brought us at the end of the day is excitement and like talking about movies in a way that it's not like something around the shoot like because I think in the last few years we've heard more about the drama of the movie of like the shooting of the movie but we haven't heard of people like debating like how should you see it what order what should you wear what should you do and I think that's the magic of open like Barbie Heimer in the end it's like the excitement it generated in us yeah and hopefully it stays and hopefully People have rediscovered their love for films. Hopefully, cinemas managed to lower their, their prices. But mm-hmm. anyways, it has been a pleasure. Same to talk here. To you, do you want to do? Do you want to do the expectations? We can do it quickly. One minute each. Let's do it quickly. Okay. Do you want to go? Okay. Sure. I'll go. Uh, with Barbie, expectations were like above 10. Like it was like a hundred out of 10. I was so excited. Uh, enjoyment during the movie, I would say it was a seven because I've seen so much of it. I didn't go through the narrative, you know, like I didn't see it as a normal movie because I knew so much of the dialogue beforehand. And retrospect, it would go back to a 10 because I think it's it's one of the few movies that I've talked about consistently in the last few months. And then Oppenheimer, it would be like a fives in terms of expectations. Like I knew it was a Nolan film, so that generated expectations, but at the same time it didn't. Um, and then enjoyment, it would be a nine because I really like, I sat through the three hours and it felt like one and a half. And then in retrospect, it would have to go down to an eight because then I thought about it and I hated the way he gave us Florence Pugh. Like, I think it's one of the worst characters, not because of her performance, but because it was written very poorly. Okay, uh, so Oppenheimer, expectation six, was not, not particularly excited for it. Enjoyment eight. And then in retrospect, I'd say seven, like you. I, I, I'm going to steal everything you said because I agree with you. Okay. And then Barbie, I'd say expectations, yeah, 10. Uh, so, so excited for it. Uh, was very intrigued to see what, what was going to come out of this film, especially considering it was both Gretz and Noah, which would both be fan, fans of. Enjoyment, I'd say... Yeah, I'd say it's six or a seven because mm-hmm. I was comparing myself to everyone else who was just seemed to cry and laugh all the time. And I had seen so much of it. It was just too, I, yeah, it wasn't surprising uh, at all. And then in retrospect, I'd say um, 
eight. I think it deserves more than the time I watched it. I think well, we're, everything we've said, everything we've stated about Barbie and how important it is to watch it, I think just, yeah, justifies the eight. But anyways, okay. after the discussion, yeah. I think it's time to wrap it up. I think this is an amazing way of starting season two. Yes. And I know, I'm excited. I'm so excited as well. We're excited to have you back. And we're going to continue with Greta Gerwig for the next one. So stay tuned to find out what more we're going to do.